Isaiah chapter 56 is, uh, is where we're going to be beginning tonight. Now, actually, Isaiah chapter 56 um, begins what most commentators consider to be the, the final book of the book of Isaiah. They divide the book of Isaiah into three different books, uh, all the same author, but that's how they, because there's so many chapters, that's how they keep them straight. The first uh, book of Isaiah focuses on the king. The second book of Isaiah focuses on the servant. We just finished that up in Isaiah 54. You remember Isaiah 53, the, the suffering servant, describing for us the crucifixion of Jesus Christ some 800 years or 1,000 years before it was invented. So now we enter into uh, the, the final book of Isaiah, looking forward to the conqueror. And as we look at the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, we'll see each one of those Roles fulfilled in him, in Christ, who is our king, in Christ, who is that suffering servant, in Christ, who is the conqueror yet to come. Once he came as a lamb, the next time as a lion. And he will come back as that conquering king. And we'll take a look at uh, uh, Revelation chapter 19 before we get too far. But let's take a look. Isaiah chapter 56 says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Basically, the Lord is speaking to his people who are waiting for God's deliverance. They're going through dry times. Anybody ever gone through dry times? Going through difficulties, going through hard times. And as they go through those hard times, God is saying to them, listen, listen, he says, Keep justice and do righteousness. Continue to do what's right. I have heard on more than one occasion believers who are going through a hard time saying, in essence, you know, if I had known that it was going to be this hard being a Christian and, and, and that the enemy would attack and all these things would go on, man, I think it was better before I was a Christian. And God's word is, listen, guys, we can't base everything that we feel, all the things that are going on in our life on on what we see here and now, because here and now is temporal, temporary, doesn't last, won't stay. But that which is eternal, our eternal home with Jesus Christ, that's eternal. So God says, keep going. Stay on that right path. Stay on that right road. Do the things that God has directed us to do. Keep rights or keep justice and do righteousness. Walk Worthy. The scriptures tell us in the New Testament, walk worthy. The word for worthy means of equal weight. So the life that we now live as a response in love to what Jesus Christ has done for us should be of equal weight with what Jesus Christ has given us, what he's done for us. That when we walk worthy, our response in love is to Consider his sacrifice and live our life in such a way that it brings honor to that sacrifice and not dishonor. And that's a struggle for a lot of believers. It's a struggle for a lot of people. It's a struggle for the nation of Israel. I'm echoing like crazy. Woo, woo. Hey, Betty, you can turn, can you turn me down a little? And I'll holler. It sounds holy. It sounds holy? Yeah. Holy. Holy. Oh. <laughs> That's better. Thank you. 
Okay, so the idea is, indeed, we want to continue to do the things God's called us to do. Follow the things that God's directed for us, all right? And then he goes on, blessed is a man. Now, when we read blessed is a man, we know that means, oh, how happy, right? Oh, how happy is a man. Blessed is the man who does this. And the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. So in the book of Isaiah, one of the things that, they, that the children of Israel were struggling with was keeping the, the Sabbath. It's like, why are we bothering? The temple's been destroyed. We're in captivity. Everything's going bad. Forget it all. Let's just stop doing everything. And the Lord says, blessed is the man who lays hold of the promises of God and waits for his deliverance, who does not defile the Sabbath. Now, a lot of people read this and they get hung up on the Sabbath. They get hung up on a whole group body of of Christ who say that if you worship on Sunday, you're worshiping the beast because you're worshiping on Sunday, which gets its name from from a God, which, by the way, sort of Saturday. But anyhow, the idea is they put this uh, this strict rule on the Sabbath upon Gentiles that that those who were brought into the church should also keep the law. We talked about that this morning, right? Grace plus nothing. No works. No works of the law whatsoever. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, when James and Peter said what the, the Gentile church should do, you remember what he said? Abstain from sexual immorality, from things strangled, from blood. Nowhere in there did he say, keep the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 31 tells us that the Sabbath is a promise, a covenant between God and the nation of Israel for all time. And as we go on in in, uh, Romans chapter 14, Paul tells us that some people esteem one day greater than another. Others esteem every day alike. Let each of you be fully convinced in his own mind. That day, that, that point, rather than elevating those things within the church. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 4, in fact, why don't we turn there as we kind of settle this in our, in our minds uh, in regard to the Sabbath. It's going to come up over and over again as we go through the Old Testament. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. And in light of the, in light of the scriptures that we're reading, listen, this is what he says. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest... Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of that rest. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day. Saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work 
as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He's talking about entering into the rest, the Sabbath, the rest. The scripture lays out for us that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. When we enter into the rest, we say, there's no work that I can do to accomplish my salvation. I am resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. For believers, for the church, he is our Sabbath. So when Isaiah says, and and applying it to us, who keeps from defiling his Sabbath, it can definitely apply to us as we consider what's he talking about? Entering into the rest we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, how happy is a man who learns to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. Who learns that it's not works that I do. Things that I try to achieve to earn my salvation. But rather resting in the finished work that Jesus Christ has accomplished. So who keeps from defiling that Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. Remember, Isaiah is speaking to a people who are waiting for the deliverance of God. Anybody fit that category? I'd sure, I'm, I'm stoked for deliverance. Hey, any day, any time, just about every day, there's something to, to seek deliverance for. So what's God's word to us? Keep walking the walk. Keep doing the things that God's laid on us and rest in Christ. Rest in his finished work. Trust in the promises of God. Believe that the deliverance will come. And that what we have in Christ is so much greater than anything we'll ever deal with here. Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, For I consider this present suffering not worthy to be compared with the things that shall be revealed. The glory that shall be revealed. In us as we, as we stand before Jesus Christ. So this is the concept. He goes, now, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. You see, for the, the nation of Israel, as they went through some of the things they suffered, it was at the hands of Gentiles. And so they would have a tendency to look at Gentiles as fuel for hell. And they didn't really care about ever seeing any of them saved. But God says, listen, the foreigner, the Gentile, other than a Jew, who's joined himself to me, and that word for joining himself means to, uh, to have extreme or complete devotion to God, who's joined himself to me, let him not say that the Lord has separated me from his people. Listen, God's saying, I love him as much as I love you. In Isaiah which is long before the church was born and and the Lord uniting Jew and Gentile together in one. So we see the foreshadowing of this occurring with the foreigner being joined to the Lord. Let not the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree. Man, I know that there's a lot of ways to look at this. And as we look at this scripture, they would look at a eunuch or a barren woman as as though they were cursed from God. And I know today there are people that feel the same way. Women who can't have children, women who, or men who, who can't have a family, who desire a family, and they feel like uh, 
you know, I have, I have nothing to give. That's what he's saying. Let not the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree, no fruit. I can't have fruit, can't bear fruit, can't pass on a, a lineage. The Lord says, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. By the way, we've already studied through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and we know that a eunuch cannot enter into the temple or worship in that place. He's not whole. He's, he's not complete. But here God says, I'm going to give you a place in my house and a name. What's he talking about? He's talking about that eternal home. That there is that opportunity for salvation, even though this person thinks everything in his life says that, that I have no value to God. God says, yes, you do. Don't say you're a dry tree. There's a purpose, a plan. There's a work that God is doing, that God wants to do through them. Israel was thinking, it's my birthright. You know, I am born a Jew, so I'm naturally God's favorite. But you know, the scripture would declare to us, not everyone who calls himself Israel is of Israel. Right? Any more than everyone who calls himself a Christian is a Christian. If we want to say, well, everyone who calls himself a Christian is a Christian, then we got a big problem because the church did some pretty horrible things, especially during the Crusades, when they kept score on how many little Jewish children's heads they could get on the end of their pike while they were conquering Jerusalem. All in the name of the church. Are they Christian because they painted a cross on their shield? Are they a Christian because the Pope waved his arm over them and said, okay, whatever you do in the name of God is acceptable? Does that sound familiar, by the way? Because the guys that are over there in the Middle East right now, they call that jihad. Whatever is accomplished in the name of God is a holy war, and they are not responsible, nor is it a sin. That's why they can blow up children. But who did it first? The church. At least in name. Not everyone who calls himself Christian is Christian. Not everyone who calls himself Israel is Israel. There is no birthright to God. There is a relationship with God. Coming by faith in his son Jesus Christ. The same way it was in the old, it is in the new. That is the, the way of salvation. <clears throat> so... He's saying, listen, I'm going to give them a home. I'm going to give them a a home within these walls and a name in that place. Better than that of sons and daughters. Now, this is kind of interesting. I I kind of dig this because it speaks uh, as a a foreshadowing of adoption. You maybe didn't know that adoption is a better name than sons and daughters. In the Roman culture... In order to inherit anything that your father had, even though you were his born child, you had to be adopted. If you weren't adopted, you got nothing. He would adopt you. What is it the scriptures declare to those who put their faith in Christ? That by the spirit of adoption, we can call out Abba Father. We have been adopted into the family of God. A name better than that of sons and daughters. A name that inherits that is a part of the inheritance that Jesus Christ himself has. So we see this, this foreshadowing, this concept, is he's looking to the whole nation. Let's see, not focused only on Israel here. 
Here's how we know. He says, he goes on, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. We shouldn't have to go over this over and over again. Everlasting lasts how long? Forever, Forever right? So a lot of people have a difficulty with the concept. You know, we get a lot of people struggle with the concept of uh, eternal security. I can tell you this. The believer is eternally secure. God doesn't lose anybody. But not everybody who says they're a believer is a believer, right? But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would have what? Everlasting life, which lasts how long? Forever. Forever. Can you lose everlasting life? Then it wouldn't be everlasting, would it? It would be lasting a long time. Or lasting a little while. But it wouldn't be everlasting. Here he says, listen, when I give them a name, it's going to be an everlasting name that will not be cut off. That means they won't be separated from among his people. They will be his. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him. Now he, he looks at a third view. The foreigner... The eunuch, now he looks at the sons of the foreigner uh, who, who come and want to serve the Lord. They want to serve the Lord. And to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. We don't want to lose this concept. Uh, uh, when we talk about serving the Lord as the scripture speaks of, in the Greek word it's described as doulos. Doulos, in essence, is a slave by love forever. That's why whenever Paul begins one of his letters, he writes, Paul, a doulos of Jesus Christ. A slave to Jesus forever. In response to what Jesus has done, I give myself to him. They would pierce their ear on the, on the doorpost of their house and put a hoop earring in his ear. And that marked him as doulos, a servant. But listen to what he said. What was the servant? It wasn't to be to have a name. It wasn't to earn salvation. It wasn't to get a better place in heaven. What was it? And to love the name of the Lord, to be his servant. So it's, a, it's a, an act of love to God to desire to serve, to find a place within the body where we can serve. And to realize there's never going to ever be a day where there's not a need for God's people to serve. Ever. We enter into that place maybe for a brief period when we get to heaven. But I think God has a, a role, a job, a, a, a thing for us to perform for eternity. I don't know what it is. We'll figure it out when we get there. Sufficient for today is its own trouble, right? I don't need to worry about what that's got. I just got to get through today. But here's what he's laying out. Listen, they serve because they love his name. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. See, he keeps coming back to the Sabbath. He keeps focusing on the Sabbath. When we study scripture, we cannot remove scripture from his context. The scripture here in Isaiah is written to a people who are in a place of of uh, or entering into a place where they've been removed from their homeland. They're they're in, enslaved among Babylon or Assyria. And in that enslavement, God's emphasis is, don't forget to keep me central. The Sabbath speaks of God being central. The Sabbath day, God is it. He's our focus. He's the rest. He, what was the Sabbath day to, supposed to be centered around? All focused on the Lord, right? Sometimes we comfort ourselves by saying we have a Sabbath on, on a different day, but we don't ever do it. Not the way the Scripture talks about it. Scripture talks about a Sabbath. It was a day devoted to God, not a day off where you went out and, and went hunting or riding four-wheelers or playing. 
It was a day of devotion to God. Focused on Him. Teaching their children. Doing those things on that day. Now I'm not saying we should. Because that's a covenant that God made with the children of Israel. Who's our rest? Jesus Christ. Is Jesus central? If He's central, if we've entered into that rest of Jesus Christ, then we aren't defiling the Sabbath. We keep the Sabbath in Christ. For He declared, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Isn't that what Jesus said? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath rest. So, again, the, the idea as we look at this, it has context to the, to the nation of Israel and to the foreigners around them. Don't forget it has an immediate context that it was written to. But in light of, of for us, as we look at the Scripture and say, well, how does this apply to me? That that's how it applies to us. That concept of keeping God central, Jesus central. They hold fast to my covenant. They hold fast to my covenant, my promises, the things that God has laid out. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain. Wait a minute, that's going to be kind of mind-blowing for a Jew. Because they actually had a sign on the temple that said, No Gentiles pass this point. But God says, I'll bring them to my holy mountain. That implies right in the door. Right into that place where God, where God lives, where God stays. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Listen, God's saying that He has a plan, that there's a, a plan of salvation for these people, and that God welcomes those who have joined themselves to Him just as He welcomes the nation of Israel. God has a plan for the nation of Israel. God has a plan for the other nations. God has a plan for the church. We see them all functioning together and spoken of in the Old Testament. Listen to this. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. Jesus quotes this verse as he cleanses the temple. He says that they've made his father's house a den of thieves, but his father's house should be a house of prayer for all nations. Where were they making it a den of thieves? In the, what's known as the court of the Gentiles. The only place Gentiles were allowed to come in and worship. In that place, the only place where Gentiles were allowed to pray, they made it a giant market. Because they didn't want to upset their own place of worship, so they upset the place of worship where the Gentiles could come. And that's where Jesus went and cleansed the temple. He kicked them all out of there. He kicked them out of the court of the Gentiles so that Gentiles could worship. So that they could pray. So that they could come to know the Lord. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. Listen, God is saying over and over again, i got a plan for more than just the nation of Israel. i got a plan for the Gentiles. But keep in mind, don't lose sight as we, as we consider the Jewish people and the, and the nation of Israel. Keep in mind that they've suffered under the hand of the Gentiles for years and years and years. So they build up a prejudice. That's not uncommon, is it? We see the very same thing in our own world. I mean, we can all say we're not prejudiced, but there's some people group, something, something that someone who mistreated us or maltreated us in the past, and we hold this animosity toward them. Those people, that, that kind of person, what have you. That's where Israel was. But here God, through the prophet, through his word, is saying, hey, I'm not just calling Israel. I'm calling others beside him. The outcasts. Who did Jesus spend all his time with? The in crowd? 
The popular people, the guys who said they had it all together? No, when the Pharisees saw him, what did they say? He's a, a wine-bibber and a glutton. Look at the people he hangs out. He's always hanging out with sinners. Yeah, Jesus said that. Yeah. Because when they say they're a sinner, I can help them out. You who say you're holy, I can't help. You think you got it all put together already. Here's what we see. The Lord laying out for them. He's going to call others beside them to himself. And then in verse 9, he calls the beasts. And all you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. Hmm. Kind of odd, right? You know, God does this another time, at least one other time. I think uh, throughout the other prophets we'll see it again. But one time that really sticks out in my mind is in the book of Revelation. Let's uh, flip over to Revelation chapter 19, about verse 11. And you'll see what we're talking about. Revelation 19 is the return of Jesus Christ. Puts his feet back on planet earth. He returns as the lion. Now I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. I love that. You realize that nobody knows the name of God anymore. We lost it long ago. The the tradition says that the high priest on his deathbed would, would, would whisper... How do you say it? Yad, Yad, Yad Vashem. That's not right. But he'd whisper the name to the next high priest. But all the Hebrews would write were the consonants. So you have the consonants. Y-H-V-H. Can't pronounce it. No vowels. Nobody knows where it goes. When Jesus returns, he's got a name written on him that nobody knows. I wonder. But nonetheless... He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called what? The Word of God. His name is called the Word of God. God the Word. Ignatius, one of the early church fathers, used to refer to him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Spirit. Interesting here he says his name was the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of the mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. Come gather together for the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of the kings. The flesh of captains. The flesh of mighty men. The flesh of horses and of those who sit on them. The flesh of all people free and slave. Both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat upon the horse and upon his army. So we see here as Jesus Christ returns on his horse, the valley of Megiddo, the plains of Megiddo, otherwise known as Armageddon, the battle that takes place. He's coming with his armies, but the armies don't do anything. The Bible says he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. How? Alone. He doesn't need us. He wipes them all out with the sword of his mouth. The armies are destroyed, but what does he do? First, he calls all the birds. 
How would you like to be in the plains of Megiddo? Battle is coming. You think you're fighting against Israel or the kings of the east. And then suddenly Jesus is returning. He's coming with the brightness and the the fierceness of His glory from heaven. And as He comes, both all the armies involved decide they're going to fight Him. But before that occurs, what you see is every bird on the planet circling the valley of Armageddon. In case you're wondering if that ever happens, it's a bad sign. Bad? That's a lot of birds. I was in, I was in Alaska, on Adak, Alaska, where they have eagles like flies. Eagles everywhere. Every, you could not walk outside the door without seeing 50 or 100 eagles. But he's going to call every bird of prey... And they're going to come to that place. Back in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 56, we see the same thing. God's calling the beasts. What's he saying? He's speaking of the fact that when this judgment of the Lord comes, that they're going to eat the corpses of his enemies. It's a way of saying you're going to be utterly wiped out. Well, who's going to be utterly wiped out? Well, he focuses in on them in verse 10. The leaders of God's people. His watchmen are blind. They are ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. What, uh, that was the leadership of the nation of Israel. Think about it when Jesus came. They were greedy dogs. They wanted what they wanted for themselves. They didn't care about the truth. When, when the wise men came, the magi came and said, where is the Christ child supposed to be born? And, and Herod turned and he looked at his wise men, his Jewish council, and he said, where do the scriptures say he's supposed to be born? And they say he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But not one of them got up and walked the two miles to go see. Because they didn't care about the truth. They're greedy dogs who love to slumber. What is it that Jesus says to us? In, uh, in, in Romans chapter 13, I think around there, verse uh, 11, he says, Wake up, you who sleep. It's high time to awake, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. God has a plan, a, a design upon our lives that we're supposed to be fulfilling. Here, at this time in the nation of Israel, his people were lazy, his, the leaders of his people were lazy dogs who were not even able to bark. What's the bark for? Warning. In Ezekiel, the Lord says he calls his people to be watchers on the wall. They were to sound the alarm in times of trouble. But his people did not sound the alarm. If they did not sound the alarm, the blood of the judgment that came was upon the hands of the watchers upon the wall. If they sounded the alarm and nobody listened, then the people's blood was on their own heads. God calls us to be watchers on the wall the same way. That's what warriors on the wall is all about. Watch and pray. Isn't that what Jesus said? Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. How many times did he tell his disciples? Watch and pray. Bad times are coming. Watch and pray. Be ready. Watch and pray. But God says of his leaders, Hey, the leaders of my people, they're blind, ignorant, dumb dogs that can't bark. You can't say much worse about a person. 
God says this is the way the leadership is. And I think that's an incredible description of the Pharisees at the time Jesus Christ came. They didn't care about truth. They didn't care about acknowledging he's the Messiah. Did they ever care at one time whether or not it was true? Never. Never. They were just looking for ways to kill him. Get rid of him. Silence him. They are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way for everyone, everyone for his own gain from his own territory. What are they focused on? Self. What can I have? What can I get? What's in it for me? Focused on self. Come, one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. What's the, the focus is? Listen, the focus is they're not just passively wicked, they're actively wicked. They're doing those things which they know are not going to bring them into a healthy place with the Lord. Is it a sin to drink? No, it's not a sin to drink. What's a sin? To be drunk, right? But you realize that in life there is such a thing as weight, right? If I said, let's go run the Boston Marathon, and somehow I trained and I was able to run the Boston Marathon... I probably would weigh like 12 pounds if I trained like that. I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. You're going to come with me. And I say, I'm so excited about running the Boston Marathon. And we got a chance. Maybe we'll, we'll run a good time. But as we're getting ready to go, I'm putting an 80-pound pack on my back. Now, every runner in that place would say, you are stupid. How are you going to run a, a race with weight on your back? Yeah, slow. You're not going to perform. You're not going to be able to fulfill the things that, that God has planned for you because you're weighing yourself down with other junk. That's what, they, that's what these guys are doing. They're not passively weighing themselves down. They're actively weighing themselves down. They're doing things that are going to withhold or hold them back from being everything that God can let them be in their life. And each one of us I just pick on drinking. Everybody picks on drinking. But each one of us has something that's a weight in our life. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's monsters. Maybe it's, I don't know, it's something. There's something that, that we allow in our life as a weight. And that's what these guys are doing actively for, for, for looking for that, to do that. Not caring about what God's Word taught. Not caring about what God was doing. Not caring about what God's plan was for anybody. Not caring about pointing to the Messiah and saying, there he is. They just wanted theirs. I want mine. When I get mine, that's all I'm concerned with. Where's mine? And hey, let's go party. Let's go party. Let's go drink. Let's get drunk. Let's seek after intoxicating drink. Let's do whatever we can to, to, to slow us down from what God wants us to do. What did he say? For tomorrow will be just like today and much more abundant. Tomorrow will be just like today? Not all the time. Not all the time. Jesus told a story about a rich man who had everything. He had this incredible crop. This incredible crop came in. And he, he spent all his time working his crop. And he got this crop in. And he didn't even have room in his barns to, to put it. And so he said, you know, this is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down these barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to fill those bigger barns up. And when the bigger barns are filled, I'll finally take my rest. And Jesus said, thou fool. 
Today your soul is required of you. It's too late. Tomorrow's not just like today. It's, it's, Jesus would say, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Stay focused on, on keeping God central now. Why be caught up in things that are going to hold us back from fulfilling what God's doing in our life? Well, yeah, I understand that we have freedom. And I understand that we're free in Christ. And I understand that it doesn't make us more holy. I'm just saying, does it slow you down? Is it keeping you from running the race that God has for you for all your worth? Because Paul would say, run the race to win. Don't just hope you're going to finish. That means pressing into the Lord for all we're worth. And this is, this is the, the beginning of this final book. Isaiah chapter 56, as far as we'll go tonight, because I talk too much. But the, 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 sorry. But the, the concept is, listen, God wants us to pursue righteousness, wants us to walk with Him, even though we're waiting for deliverance. He wants us to realize that, that He's calling and reaching out to all kinds of people, not just the kind of people maybe we think He should be reaching out to, that God has a plan, that He wants us to enter into that Sabbath rest that we find in Christ Jesus, the, the finished work that He has done for us, that all these things are, are, are what He's speaking to you and I, even as He was speaking relevant words to the children of Israel at their time. And he says, hey, God doesn't, can't take his people anywhere that his leaders won't go. The Pharisees been so easy if they had just pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God. But they didn't. The leaders that God had in place weren't fulfilling their role. Today, each of us are called a kingdom of priests. We put our faith in Christ. We're... we're a leader in some respect. Some we we lead our families. We we are a light to those around us in ministry to reach out with the gospel, the truth of the word. So do it <clears throat> without regret. Don't look back and say, "Man, really wish I would have sold out." There's probably a hundred things in our life we can think that about. I remember when I got out of school and I was in the Marine Corps, I thought, I really wish I would have sold out in football. Who knows what could have happened if I'd have just really sold, if I'd have banded everything, if I'd have just, with everything in me, I went for it. Now I think, what does the world have to see in a man or woman who is totally, completely, utterly surrendered to God in every facet of their life? What does that person look like? Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you would come after me, take up your cross. Come on, let's go. That's what he's telling us tonight. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. I invite you, if you feel like God's laid something on your heart, to pray. If you feel like, like uh, you just want to be quiet before the Lord, great. Praise God. Be quiet before the Lord. Enter into his gates, into his place. Seek his face. Call upon the name of the Lord while it is today. For he'll be heard today. He'll give us what we need today. He'll carry us through. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you in this place, Lord. and We thank you for the truth that your word declares. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts and lives. And the fact that your word indeed is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
I thank you, God, that you speak to us through the book of Isaiah and the prophecies that were given by Isaiah for, for an, even another people. But they still have relevance to us today. Father, may we remove those weights. May we cast aside all those things, all those worries, all those concerns. May we, as we wait for deliverance, walk in righteousness. That we don't lose hope and lose heart and say, Oh, where is the promise of His coming? He'll come when He's ready and not before. And until that time, God, you call us to occupy, to do what you've called us to do, to run our race to the best of our ability. So, Lord, we thank you, God, that you set us free by grace. May we respond in love and walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Father, we desire to have your Holy Spirit move in this place tonight. God, as we seek your face in this place, meet us here in Jesus' name.